Hello, and my name is Pete Rushmer, and I'm your host today of a Half Dozen Things podcast. A Half Dozen Things is a podcast for business owners just like you. Whether you're an underdog hungry for success or you're already smashing it but want to continue to level up, we are here each week for you to get insight and learning from the very best in the business. No fluff, no BS and no self-proclaimed gurus talking about how easy business or life is. Just real, raw and frank conversations. My curiosity and impatience in seeking success has encouraged me to create a Half Dozen Things podcast. I designed it to bring you simplicity and discovery back to the forefront of your lives. We are all such busy people, it's easy to overlook the simple things we could be doing to achieve wealth, success and happiness. Hello, I'm absolutely buzzing to be joined today by Greg Baker. He's the head coach for the British Para Table Tennis Team. Greg was instrumental in the success of British para table tennis, achieving multiple medals at the London 2012 Paralympic Games and securing record-breaking results in Rio 2016, assisting Great Britain to finish in the top two of the medals table. He has competed and worked in high-performance coaching for over 20 years, coaching elite athletes, coaches, support staff and senior leaders. Greg's performance coaching and head coach leadership to date has delivered over 60 major medals, including two Paralympic gold medalists, two world champions and 10 European gold medalists. Proven ability to increase medal success and creating a gold medal winning programme together with enhancing and embedding a value-based performance culture, Greg believes in leadership responsibility at all levels within an organisation and delivers his coaching leadership with trust, respect, honesty, intuition and collaboration. I already met Greg about a month ago when we recorded a Stronger for Business podcast and I invited him in onto a Half Dozen Things podcast too. I've been really looking forward to it and I was so excited to interview him. I'd had such a long day when I recorded the episode. However, Greg just lit it up. He absolutely lights up the room. He's got so many great insights, so many great stories. He's absolutely fantastic to listen to. So I really hope you enjoy this podcast. Good afternoon, Greg. Thank you for joining me on A Half Dozen Things. How are you today? Yeah, I'm very good, thank you. Apart from the weather has changed significantly over the last two weeks. Apart from that, I'm all good. <laughs> it has changed some, hasn't it? We recorded not so long ago for Stronger for Business podcast and uh, I looked back at the video earlier and I was like squinting at it because the sun was so shiny and uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot cooler. I think it's probably, I went for a run earlier and I was wearing a jumper, so it's uh, it certainly uh, cooled down a little bit, hasn't it? So Amazing. Yeah, how's uh, how's things going with uh, with lockdown for you? Are you starting to talk about going back to training and stuff like that yet? Yeah, we are. So we've we've actually set a, a couple of weeks ago an eight week training program at home. So uh, our, our venue where we train at uh, opened up actually today for I think boxing went back in, but only minimum number of players, uh, athletes, and coaches. Um, quite a staggered training program so what we've decided at British Power Tables Tennis is to to really maximize this opportunity now everyone at home and can we be the fittest we've ever been so we've gone with an eight-week training program 
So that consists of some technical shadow play sessions, some S&C strength and conditioning sessions. Uh, and then there's some baseline data that athletes need to hit before they get back into training just to really protect themselves. So when they do come back, we don't start picking up any injuries or niggles because that's the last thing we want is, you know, they've been out for such a long time and then we come back and, and they, they're out again for another two or three months because we haven't, as a staff team, took the care and responsibility to sort of slowly but surely get them back into training. So we're using this phase now to do that, to, to for them to be the best prepared they can be and when we come back so we're looking at a, an august start there's no rush for us we're happy with what they're doing at home yes they're not technically training but we know we can they can get back into that when we get back into the venue in in, in sheffield but we're quite happy with what they're doing and then we can hit the ground running in august and then we've got literally then uh 12 well it'd just be over 12 months prep before uh the games then in in august 2021 yeah. super exciting stuff Super exciting yeah. stuff, and you do a bit with um, you do a bit from football as well. We didn't get a chance to talk about that before, so tell me a bit yeah. about your football. football yeah, coaching. that's right. I mean, I'm a I'm a big football fan. I know you are as well. Um, big time. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, football's been part of my life really ever since I was I was little. As well as obviously the career that I've gone into, sport, high performance sport, but football was my first sort of love actually when I was you know, really young. It's the first sport I properly took part in, and you know, I've always played it. And, after school every day and you know as you used to those days you put you put jumpers down or bikes down for goalposts in the park etc and it was just uh, just something that we just automatically did automatically did after school so love love football and so I have someone I know within the Premier League through some of the CPD programs I've been on and, and, and network that I've created basically asked me if I wanted to get involved in some of the mentoring that, that the Premier League uh, have on um, so they've got a few coach development programs. So they've got ECAS, which is the Elite Coach Apprenticeship Scheme, EHOC, which is the Elite Head of Coaching Scheme, and then they've got the EAM, which is the Elite Academy Manager Scheme. So this is, I work on ECAS and EHOC. Um, so I work with a couple of people now uh, on, in Elite Head of Coaching positions, and I mentor them through their through their leadership philosophy, through Amazing. how they now work with the, multi, the multidisciplinary sports science team and how they integrate that into the coaching and, and training philosophy. So I work across a number of people on those programs and it's really, it's great because I go in, I'm, I'm able to go into the clubs and see how they, how they work, you know, how they work together, how teams within teams are working together and vice versa. Then whoever I mentor can, can come into my environment and see how we, how we work. So it's a bit of that cross different sort of sport learning and being able to pick up things from each other so I mean that's what I believe I really believe that about mentoring and and if you like business and exec coaching I think it's a two-way process where you can both learn from each other rather than being always one way because like the mentor is the sort of you know guru that knows everything and, and the, the mentee then listens to the mentor I actually see it as a two-way thing and and actually if you've got a relationship like that I think you can it's the best of both yeah. worlds so that's that's what I I try and do with the work I do in the Premier League but it's great because uh, of course it's always good to work in a sport that um, you know my two loves there for like I'm working in uh, in a full-time role with table tennis which is what I you know did full-time really as a, in a junior as a junior athlete and tried to make make it into become a senior pro etc and then also now working in football which has always been a, a passion that stayed with me as well so it's quite fortunate in that respect brilliant brilliant uh, do you know what this is why i love speaking to you because there's about three things i want to pick up on from what you just said number one is i think you're absolutely right i think when you look for it when 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 you say it's like a two-way learning i think when you're open to feedback there's feedback in everything isn't there to help you adapt your style to how you approach different situations so that, that was sort of the first thing and i guess the second thing was like 
I guess these are like household names, these head of coaching positions. And I suppose are yeah. you are you unable to to share those? I guess. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm just through yeah. confidentiality, etc. Of course. Um, but yeah, they are they are potential you know, ex players that have been through the system, or you know, players that may not have had a a long career, but have got into the coaching career quite early yeah. and got around in, in different clubs. So, so yeah, it's um. It's great to work with them. It's great to get yeah. their perspective on on high performance and, mm. like I said, to share my insights, to share what I've learned, and also they then share what, what they've learned, and we sort of learn from each other. So it's um it's great, and you get to go and watch some of the football matches as well, which is always a bonus. Cashback, yeah, big time. And do you um do you get starstruck? <laughs> do you get starstruck um, at all? Because I know yeah. I would. Yeah, I mean, not really, and I suppose I suppose why not is because. Ever you know, such an early age, I've I've mixed with quite a lot of you know elite athlete, whether it be in my sport or or other Olympic sports through the venue at the EIS. So one of the one of the athletes that trained at the EIS is a household name is Jessica Ennis. So she was you know walking in in and out of the of where we eat lunch etc. with our athletes, and you just sort of get used to it. Mm-hmm. You know, Anthony Anthony Joshua as well before he went pro trained at the EIS. So when he was training in the Olympics, that's where he trained, and he comes back into the Sheffield EIS to to spar. Uh, and help nice. him in, in terms of his preparation going into fights. So we're quite used to, I suppose I'm quite used to seeing those sort of household names. So going into the football program, and I suppose that's one thing that the Premier League are probably looking for as well. Uh, and I think I do know that clubs, when they recruit staff members to work in in the academy, but also to work as, for example, operations or within administration, they're looking to see which of the candidates are becoming starstruck and which aren't. And they actually prefer the ones that aren't starstruck because then if they're starstruck, they're going to be potentially influencing the job that they do when they're at, at nice. the workplace. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I know some Premier League clubs actually use that as part of their recruitment and actually put them in positions where they might be walking down the corridor and they'll purposely put Vincent Company that comes out the, the you know, the, the the corridor or Sergio Aguero and just to see their reaction and what they do. You know, if that if, if that candidate then gets the, a pen and paper out and looks for their autograph, then it's probably not the, thing, the right thing for them to be working in that environment where they're going to be mixing yeah. with those people day to day. So yeah, quite. Uh, I suppose a tip actually, if anyone's looking to uh, nice. go for an interview with that that sort of industry, then look out for that because I know that's one thing that some clubs top, do. Top top tip. I, I think I'll probably fall at the first hurdle. No, <laughs> I think I think I've got the self control to be able to manage it. So uh, fantastic. And do you know what? It gives you such credibility when we start talking about our half dozen things for success, and because you've seen it in so many different variations and forms as well. And, and, and sort of been with people who have been successful by various different measures as well, including fairly extreme ones too. So uh, we'll start with the first one and kick it off with ensuring that everyone leads. Um, what does that mean to you, Greg? So it's something that, um, you know, I'll be honest, when I first started in the high-performance coaching world, it, it's not something that necessarily came to my mind straight away. I, you know, when I first started coaching, I was very much, um, you know, it was about me and the athlete. And that was it. You know, it was just this sort of one way sort of, uh, you know, you're trying to get an athlete from A to B and you're doing everything you can to improve that athlete. But then as I've sort of gone through the system from being a talent coach into performance coach and into a head coach where you do have more responsibility, you've got a program that you're looking after. You're looking after, uh, uh, you know, a squad of athletes. You're looking after a team of coaches. You're also then looking after a sports science team to make sure they're collaborating and integrating what they want to put in into the into the everyday training uh, as well, and then not only that, you've got uh, operations manager, you've got pathway manager, you've got a performance director, you've got you know senior leadership team, um, 
you've got practice partners that you'll bring in. And, and so I suppose what I've always wanted to do as part of my leadership philosophy is make sure that no matter what position that you're in, in an organization, that everybody has uh, authority, everyone has responsibility, everyone's accountable towards something. Because what that actually does, it gets people to make decisions and you want them to make decisions. You want them to make critical decisions under pressure so that when push comes to shove and we're at a World Championships or we're at a Paralympic Games, we, we don't have that top-down uh, if you like command leadership philosophy where people that are like if you like uh, who I'm line managing looking up to see where I am to, to help make a decision you know that's not going to it's not going to cut it because I might be in a Paralympic village and at, at, at the same time one of my coaches might actually be in the venue making a decision a tactical decision strategy it might be something to do with operations it might be anything and I'm not necessarily going to be there and they might not have time to phone me etc so they need to make that that call there and then they need to make that decision and I suppose what comes with that then is an environment and a culture where people are able to make these decisions without fear of consequences. And of course, given the authority and responsibility to make these decisions, there's going to be some failings along the way. There's going to be some wrong decisions, but that's the only way we learn. And that's my philosophy that we've got to make those calls decisions that we're not always going to get everything right. But in the long term, you know, we'll learn from what we've done, whether it be positive or negative, and actually then be in a better position to make better decisions under pressure the next time round. So people need to step up. And I think in that way, what I've what I've found is that when you give that responsibility, people are more likely to go the extra mile as well. People are more likely to come up with new innovative improvements, wanted to put new designs and programs in place because they feel like they've got the freedom and they can express themselves more often rather than just being waiting to be told what to do or always asking permission. One thing that I've learned, I think, to be successful or to be, you know, to really kick on in your career, whatever it is, I think is stop being stop waiting to be told or stop asking, just go and do it. And I suppose, you know, if you just go and do it and you've got someone that trusts you and you've got someone that is promoting that, then yeah, whatever you want to do, go make that decision and go and do it. That's the only way you're going to learn. That's the only way you're going to push yourself forward. So I've always thought with that advice I had to use that as part of my leadership philosophy to make sure that everyone's stepping up and leading. And, you know, it's not, I suppose what I've also learned over the years is that I've seen great leadership as head coaches. I've also seen some poor leadership as head coaches in a variety of different sports. And, you know, I see the head coach position as not the guru, not the person that knows it all, you know, the technical guru. The tech. It's actually someone that lets things happen with the staff and athletes that he's working with. Yes, I'm going to set strategy and I'm going to set vision, but then you've got to make sure the people then that are implementing that vision every day are doing the things that they want to do, are, are making decisions, are coming up with ideas, because then what you'll find is that people will go that extra mile, they'll work even harder, they'll feel like they're even more part of the team, and they'll feel like there's a bigger purpose behind it all. You know, and in, in high-performance sport, the purpose, of course, you could say is going for the medal, but there has to be a, a more deeper meaning and understanding of why we're doing it. And I think with a leadership philosophy that ensures that everyone leads, no matter what position that they're in, they're going to feel more wanted, needed. They're going to feel like they're playing a big part towards the organization's goals and, and, and objectives. Uh, and with that, people want to stay and people want to, uh, they don't want to leave the, the, the jobs. And we often see and hear, don't we, that people often leave positions because of a toxic work culture or potentially because of the leader or line manager that they're working with. Um, so I, I should be quite proud, actually, that no one's in my coaching team left since I've been a, a head coach. Uh, and I hope that continues. And, it, and I, I think it proves and shows that we've got a culture where uh, we're not afraid to give feedback. We're not afraid to take the feedback from each other. You know, even me being head coach, one of my 
uh, coaches comes up to me and says, you know what, Greg, I don't think that was, was quite right there. I think we need to do it this way. I'm not going to jump down that person's neck because he's never going to give me feedback again. And I yeah. might need that feedback in future. And that, that might make the difference between us winning a medal and not winning a medal. For example, if, if, you know, if, he's, if he's too scared to give me feedback, et cetera, at critical times, I want that because I'm not always going to make the decisions. And sometimes you know, I, might be, I might have a blind spot or I might be tunnel visioned when I'm under pressure because we're human. So you need people around you as well to be able to come up to you and give that. And I think you know, ensuring everyone leads maximizes those opportunities. Yeah, hundred percent. I think um, there, there was a few things you said there that really, really resonated with me. And one of them was in my corporate background was I used to have this philosophy of like just, just do it and ask for forgiveness after if I've done the wrong thing. Um, and sometimes that's a lot easier in a big hierarchy, especially when a decision can take a really long time as well. But I guess um, you know a, a lot of what you say about people getting critical. F- feedback and then and then not being able to open up again it, it harked back to black box thinking um and and, and matthew syed and, and where where he says about the the nhs for example the the situation at the very beginning of that book where the the ladies on the operating table and the nurse knows she's struggling but actually doesn't feel she's able to pick up the surgeon who's more qualified than her to say actually there's an issue here um whereas actually that, that whole situation could have been prevented by having that element of openness and and, and leadership as well Mm. I, I think there's you know as that book does suggest um you know there's a lot that i think that industry the nhs could really learn from from not only how they do it in the in the aviation industry but also how they do it in high performance sport which i know uh matt side makes some examples of british cycling where they've been so successful over the last few olympic games and how they debrief mainly you know if there's a if there's success they debrief exactly the same way as if they've failed because, yep. you know, you know, if we're successful, then we need to debrief actually even harder to make sure that we're successful again and not get complacent. But then if we fail, why have we failed? Really pick out the things that we can improve next time and make sure we're not labeling or blame anyone. And I think in some industries, there's that blame culture that everyone's trying to point the finger towards why this has happened. And it's that and it's down to one individual. Actually, if we fail or if we achieve as an organization, we do it together. There's no one person that's made that success. Like me as a head coach with some of the results that we had, it's not just been me. That's how, yes, I've helped towards it, but it's the whole team that's done it. And if we fail, we also fail together. And we also digest and debrief exactly and reflect where we failed and where we can make improvements in the future. And I think you can only do that if you've got a culture, again, like I said before, where there is not this fear of consequences and you're you're just looking over your shoulder all the time and trying to keep your job safe. And I think if we're in an environment where it's quite toxic and you are trying to keep your job safe, then you're not making that the, there's, well, there's not productivity. There's not, uh, if you like in business, there won't be as much profit being made. And, you know, and into extreme circumstances, like you mentioned, the NHS, the people could be losing their lives because of that, you yeah. know, because people are afraid and people are looking after their selves because of their job and their, uh, and, and their, you know, they've got families and need to pay bills rather than in that moment, give that feedback because of the fear that that not, might bring uh, in the future so i absolutely do think that if if all industries organizations businesses have an open loop feedback where it's it's okay to do it hey that can enhance human behavior human performance in any industry and of course it's it's easy just talking about it and it has to be for me it has to be agreed within the whole organization and really embedded within the culture and the vision and, mm. and the mission and and the values of the organization if it's going to if it's going to work and and everyone has to believe in it because it will only take a couple of people not to believe in it for to to be full back again so it takes time for that to be really embedded with the culture but if everyone starts to believe in it then it can really i think make transformational change which is um, key to all industries you know continuing to improve 
think I think you make a really valid point, and this is one of the things I love about the podcast because one of my roles as a as a transport consultant is that I deal with a lot of businesses where the own the owners, the operator, so to speak, or um, they've not necessarily held managerial or leadership positions within an organisation where they've had that nurturing of the leadership skills. Um, so I see I see there's a lot of developmental challenges potentially because there's been a willingness to accept responsibility there's a willingness to to grow and to to bring people into a business and 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 to bring them on behind but often there's a bit of a challenge around how willing certainly the business owners I often deal with to to let let go of the the reins so to speak because there's this this level of control um and i think i think hopefully listening to what you've got to say helps them to realize that actually they're they're only ever going to get the best out of their people if if you provide a safe environment for that to happen and, and to let them take the lead. Yeah, and I think that for me is the difference between management and leadership, which I think some people either get mixed up between the two or don't necessarily know, know between the two. And there's not one exact definition, but from my my belief is that, you know, management, you, you are the doing, you're on the floor, you're, if you like, orchestrating what's happening on a day-to-day basis and you are quite task-focused to get things done. And then, you know, you step it up into a leadership role, you might have more responsibility there. You've got to set the vision and you set strategy, but you've got to let everyone else do the doing. And as a, in a leadership role, you're more being. It's how you're being. It's how you're coming across. Are you uh, having an environment where people are able to get on with the work? Are people able to come up to you as well? And are you um, to ask you questions and for feedback and an open door policy rather than being in a leadership position where you're sort of in the corner and not being seen anymore? You need to be visible but you don't necessarily need to control because you need to trust your people to do what they need to do. And if you trust them, like I said before, for me, if you've got credibility, you've got reliability and you have this vulnerability as well in your environment, I think there's, there's so many things that an organization can do. And that for me, that's, that's just what I've, I've learned in my sport role because I have to admit when I first turned into, when I was a head coach, I was quite controlling, you know, and I've had to learn mm-hmm. from some of my mistakes and, you know, mm-hmm. I wanted to do everything. I wanted to, you know, coach every single athlete. I wanted to, you know it was my way or the highway if you like (laughs) that's how I was but I've learned that actually for that might be okay for one or two years but if you want to have success after success and make sustainability but also grow as a human being and and understand that you know you can set strategy and you've got to let people in if the more that you let people in and let them show vulnerability and you as a leader show empathy and compassion then it you know honestly it it can transform everything because then you start to see things happening without you necessarily being in the sports or without you necessarily needing to to, to talk all the time you know I've, what I've also learned in a leadership role is that you actually say less for for me uh, that's what what I've also learned is that you can you can say less and you can do less but you set a vision and you set an environment where other people are doing the doing and that doesn't mean and often people get uh, mistaken by this that they think, well that's lazy because you then are just going to do nothing you're going to well of course you're going to be there you're going to be seen you're setting the vision and strategy but if you do all the time and say all the time people are necessarily going to be afraid to to do the doing as well because they just think you're going to dictate and and be authoritative and, and, and tell people what to do so you've got to step away step back and if you like take that take that helicopter helicopter view and, and look at the bigger picture and see things from a different angle than you did if you were in a in a management role and and finally um you know on this management leadership you know i think this is where often organizations fall down and the same in sport is that people may start a position with all those intentions like i talked about give responsibility you know let them make decisions but then as soon as those decisions are maybe a wrong decision to actually get down their neck and actually you know absolutely being on top of them and try to control them well then you just you just 
you've set up to fail basically you've not given the room to improve to learn from it to reflect you've just set it up that way initially but then gone straight in really hard if they get something wrong and and for me that's where a lot of leaders can learn to to allow things to happen to allow people to progress and look after your people you know if someone gets something wrong why yes understand why and digest it but then help that individual rather than just looking after the numbers and uh, something mm-hmm. else in my, my leadership philosophy is look after your people and then they'll look after the numbers rather than the other way around um, and that's where you'll also grow sustainability so a lot of lessons that i've learned in my role i haven't done everything perfect for sure not and that and, and for me to understand that has been through feedback from peers feedback from other staff members feedback from other coaches feedback from athletes you know if i'd have not been quite willing to as i said been through quite a lot of cpd programs when i've you know had coaching as well with business coaches coming in and talking to me executive coaches leadership coaches being on leadership programs getting feedback from the people i work with if i had not done anything of that maybe i would have had the same philosophy as i did maybe 15 years ago but through all that feedback yes you, you need to change the way you take some in some you might not agree with initially but the more you take in and the more that you can then implement into your leadership philosophy, the better leader that you can be. So I think you've got to be open to learning. And like we said in the podcast a couple of weeks ago, have that growth mindset. And with that, you know, I think you can make uh, make 100%. it a better future for everyone. 100%. Just, just, just quickly, just to draw it, before we go on to the second point, and in which case we're, we're running way behind schedule <laughs> as well because we're only moving on to the second point. But just quickly, I wanted to ask you a football-based question. Who, who's yeah. the best coach that you've come across? Oh, um, or manager, or manager is the case maybe. Yeah. As a big fan of Man United and Alex Ferguson, I thought I'd ask you that question and not influence the, the answer. I think, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be really controversial now with my answer. You're not going to like it. <laughs> uh, and this is someone I've not nece- I've not met, I've not uh, worked with, but from what I've seen and what I've heard. And, the ch- and, and to be honest, the best manager of all time for me is Alex Ferguson in terms of success after success after success. Yeah. Yeah, there's not many, especially in this modern day, that, that can do the same. So that would have to be best manager of all time. Someone that's currently working now, and I really like uh, what I see, uh, I really like Jurgen Klopp. And the reason mm. why is because I think he's changed over the last sort of five, six years, especially when he started at Liverpool. And he, and he now understands emotional, emotional intelligence is so key to, to great management and great leadership, understanding each player and getting the best out of each player and how, hit, how he's being can have a massive effect on how the players are on the pitch. So if he's going crazy and emotional on the touchline, which yes, he does. But for me, he used to do that all the time and that had a negative effect on the players. Whereas now he purposely does that at the right time to either really influence a player, help motivate them. It might be, um, yeah, he basically chooses when he uses those emotions, whereas before his emotions were controlling him. Now is in a state where he goes, I need to be emotionally intelligent here. And when do I choose to be angry? When do I choose to be a little bit more, you know, stand back here and be quiet? And I think with that change, you see a manager who's willing to learn and willing to push forward and know that his actions and what he does can have a absolutely either a can either hinder or help performance with the athletes on the pitch. So when I've seen that, I've gone, there's a manager that's not ego first and just thinks he has all the answers. He's willing to learn. And some of the podcasts and interviews I've heard with him is that he he really believes in that. So I've been quite impressed with his development, I would say, over the last four or yeah. five years. That's amazing stuff. And to be fair, they're both they're both guests that I'd be quite happy and willing to have if they're listening. <laughs> <laughs> Nonetheless, uh, that leads us really nicely onto your second point, which is learning to adapt. It's almost like we'd, we'd sort of set that up and we totally hadn't. But uh, your second point around learning to adapt and change is always needed. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's there's two things for me. I mean, in my position, and this will be the same in any sort of leadership position, you've got to understand the people 
uh, more than ever that you're working with really understand their needs and wants understand what is their purpose you know what is understand their life for me understand what they're where they're coming from personally how that links in with their professional life because then you're going to understand how they tick you know then as a leader how to get the best out of them even in times of stress in times of a crisis how to bring them back to the forefront if, if they're having a bad week or they're having a bad couple of days and in, and in my world a bad performance you know how do I now uh, you know, if I'm working with an athlete that's had a bad performance, but still in the competition, how do I motivate, influence, use my skills that understand him and how to get him switched back on, you know, to, to then go and be able to perform the next day or the next week or whatever it is. So really understanding what hits people's buttons, what presses their buttons, what's their, what's their stress tri- triggers. And then you as a leader can adapt how you work with that individual. If you only have, for me, one way of working with groups of people uh, and not willing to adapt and flex in the moment then only certain people are going to understand you not everyone's going to understand because we're all so different so it can be quite taxing it can be quite tiring to change and adapt all the time but for me it's effective leadership so you know you might work with one individual who likes a, a logical behavior so you need to be more quite precise you need to give them more rationality more maybe de- dates and, and figures etc for them to understand something whereas someone else they might like you to be a little bit more forceful and direct and that's fine because you've got to know them and that's what they want someone else might want a bit more empathy you know someone else might want you to be a little bit more expressive and excitable and that might be difficult for some leaders to do that because that might not sit well with them and their values but if you understand that by doing that can make a difference to the person you're working with then i think you've got to learn to 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 adapt and be flexible and that can bring massive results like i said you've got to you've got to understand self first before you can do that so what are my uh, sort of behavior preferences and where does my my mind go under pressure and is uh, when you start to understand yourself and you can influence yourself and you like i said before you can start to choose which emotion that you use in a certain time then you can start to influence the people that you work with rather than the other way around so you start with everyone else first and then look at yourself. You've got to understand yourself first because actually you being adaptable in different moments and different environments by just focusing on yourself and, and how you're being and how you, what your own stress triggers are can really then help the teams that you work with because you won't be seen as this one-dimensional person that always gets stressed out or pressured when X, Y, and Z happens. They'll see that you're trying to change and adapt for the better of the team because everything that you do should be for the team that you work with, not just for yourself. So that's one way is making sure that you're adaptable to individuals and teams, which might look completely different with one individual to another. And that's because you're choosing to do that because you're knowing what motivates them and what they need. And then, and this is obviously specific to these times in over the last 10, 12 weeks, you know, the best for me, the most successful teams and the ones that are going to come out on after this lockdown on top are the ones that, have what, what I've said before, I've chose adaptability as a key leadership lesson or a key skill um, within their sort of val- values and within their CPD programs because, you know, we've all had to be so adaptable over the last 10 weeks, 12 weeks, I think it is now, I can't remember, it's just getting, it's just getting week after week, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> it's drawing on, isn't it? <laughs> uh, and I think, you know, when it first happened, everyone, there was that, well, what's going on? And I think the teams that have that most flexibility that were able to go, right, this is where we're heading, this is what we need to do, we need to adapt now, we might need to change everything that we've ever believed in before because this is the context that we're in. So if you can adapt with the context and you do that, and for me, adaptability is, again, learning self, understanding how you are under pressure, then you can start to adapt and change and, and choose which emotion or choose which behavior that you, you need in a, in a certain context, then you'll be able to get better results. So there's, the, there's adaptability for yourself and knowing what to, 
uh, what behaviors you choose depending on context. There's adapting them for your teams to make sure you understand them and, and know what where sweet spot is to really for them to enable to work on their strengths continuously and bring the results that the organization needs. And then in the times of crisis, like, you know, you could call this a crisis that we're in. How do you individually and teams adapt to that to still be able to make revenue, make profit, increase performance in sport, for example, even when you're really tested? Um, and so you probably hear from how I'm talking, if you don't have that adaptability and you're only one dimension and there's one way to win or there's one way to be, then you're going to come unstuck when the context changes. And for everyone now in the whole of society and all around the world, context has totally changed. We're not used Thank to you, this. Yeah. We didn't really plan for this. Um, there's no one out there that would have planned for, you know, even in sport, we do a lot of what if planning, you know, what if this happens? But no one's ever come up and said, what if there's a virus that takes over the world, basically, and we're going to be out of there? No one planned for that. But the teams and the ones that are going to come on top are the ones that have that adaptability and probably go through that planning process because they're used to going, you know, planning for the worst. But you don't plan for the worst for them to, to look at it and go, oh, dear, we're in, a, we're in a crisis. You plan for the worst. So if something does happen like that, you can adapt and you know what to do then to come out on top. And that's what we do quite a lot in sport. So, and I often say that sports people and individuals, coaches, we're quite used to the, and I said it again in the podcast before, uncertainty, unknown. In our world in sport, especially in my sport, um, you know, you could be training and you could be absolutely smashing it every single day in training performing really well you've performed really well at all the competitions and then you get to and for, for for whatever reason you get to a major championship and you're just not feeling it you're just not like you were on the other tournaments you know a week before you're absolutely fantastic and obviously there's reasons when you reflect on that there's reasons why that has been but that's that unknown and uncertainty but athletes thrive off that and that's the reason they're in performance world so you know in sport we do adapt quite well i think uh, the most successful teams do and that's where i think businesses and organizations can learn from that because the more you can adapt the, the more you're going to come through yeah this this one really resonated with me as well to be fair that for, for sort of three key reasons one is that I, I enjoyed playing football but I, I failed at it I was never going to come to anything because I didn't have the skill or the ability to adapt as a player um, I, I used to I, it was just one gear I only had one one real style of playing and I didn't have the strength and depth whereas the quality players I played with were able to adapt adapt the style to suit as necessary and then I think um, I play quite a lot of poker now and actually I, I'm I've become such a better poker player since I've learned how to adapt my style dependent on the game and dependent on the cards I'm getting. Um, a lot of people will say that poker is a game of, uh, of luck, but it isn't. It is a game of skill and it's about knowing, knowing how to play those cards. But ultimately, the, the biggest thing, the, the biggest reason it resonated with me was since lockdown, I've, I've really, really diversified my business. I've been working 12, 14 hour days. I know a lot of my colleagues who are business owners have probably scaled back a little bit or and I have scaled back and cut my cloth accordingly but at the same time it hasn't meant that I haven't been able to plan and 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 put processes in place and actually I came into lockdown in a position where 50% of my income had completely dropped off because we did classroom training we did first aid training mental health in the workplace but I also had the transport consultancy which which obviously that that ticked along because the transport operators were still having to run and what have you so that was sort of ticking along nicely well actually over the past 12 weeks I've completely re-strategized the business I've added health and safety consultancy and HR consultancy to the business so I'm coming out and found that time to be able to really do that that that's something that would have been on the never never when when I was sort of ticking along and gearing up as normal, that, that that would have taken a long time to be able to land that and fully form it and shape it. It'd have probably taken a year, couple of years. But actually, in reality, I've been able to really, really focus and drive through that. And I'm coming as a business. We're coming out so much stronger 
than than how we went in um with with full planned strategy in place i've you know i've recruited a couple of members of staff that are going to be joining me next month so as a lot of other companies are letting people go and and making redundancies actually we're adapting and i think that's a big message for companies now the quicker they adapt to this situation and the, the 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 quicker that they can facilitate or make make change um that the the stronger and better they're going to be moving out of here so it goes back again to what we said before about not sitting and waiting to see what's going to happen actually getting getting on with it and making those changes and being quite bold so being bold with your vision of where you're going but then you know being meticulous in your planning and and i suppose you know even if you've had five six seven weeks of pain one thing we say you know short-term pain for long-term gain you might have to take a little bit of a blow take a bit of a hit in order then to to maximize in the future and really believe in that vision in the future mm. and for me as long as everybody in the in, in an organization the team believes in that long-term future you'll get there because often we say that to athletes you know if we're changing if we're changing their technique if we're changing their tactical approach their method changing their style not necessarily going to get the results they want straight away you know and that's can be quite difficult with athletes that are quite outcome focused that want results yesterday basically especially with a new generation coming through we've we've seen that as new generations come through that they are more they want results now but actually if we're changing your method and style that's going to take some time but they've got to believe in the long term and not just the short term because it's the long term they should be heading for because that's their career that's where they're going to be going rather than maybe a short term result that feels great in the moment but actually is going to do nothing for them in the long term because that style that they might be winning with now is not the style that they need to win with in the future so similar that in sport working with athletes than in businesses like i say that short-term pain take a bit of pain but know that you're still going in the right direction and in long term this is going to benefit you so it's a lot of parallels there Amazing, definitely, 100%. And, and actually draws us really nicely onto the third point, which is around having a consistent message and understanding what success looks like. Um, and it is often a long-term strategy, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, the, the, I mean, first of all, that, you know, that understanding what success looks like. And again, we use this a lot in sport. It's called what it takes to win. So really understanding the fundamentals of how your organisation or how your principles uh, adhere to success. Um, and everyone in the organization has to buy into that and understand that so that you can align strategy, align this winning way with everybody that's working in the environment rather than, okay, I think success is like this. Somebody else thinks success is like that. And don't get me wrong, in, in our world, success can look different. You know, we've got individual athlete plans, but the whole philosophy and principle needs to look the same. Everyone needs to be on the same journey of that common goal, but they might take different roads to get there. But in terms of the core principles of what success looks like, you have to have that message quite clear because otherwise only a few people are going to be successful. Only a few people are going to buy into it. And you might have people in the organization that are working in silos because they think this is the way to win, but then other people think differently. So everyone's got to buy into it and be on on the same boat and head in the, in the same direction. So um, understanding the fundamentals, understanding where the future may go and the trajectories and the data, what the date, what does the date look to come up with your own view and an image of what success looks like in the future. And then you head down that road. Yes, you might have to take a few detours if you like and change the plan, but you're all heading in the right direction. So for me, that's very key. And then that having that consistent message, something that I've learned as well in, in the world of world of sport, you know, listening to people now that are in business, it's so key, even more key to get that communication, that clarity of communication clear 
and that everybody in the team is saying the same message. So, for example, if I'm working with a, an athlete, you know, and we've got a coaching team of five coaches, for example, and I say one thing and then a coach comes up the next day and says something totally different and then the next coach comes up, they're just going to be so confused. They don't know which map to take, they don't know which road to take and they're going to be confused. And they're not going to be out of then excel and perform and, and, and be the best athlete they can be rather than coaches really being in sync, really collaborating every single day, making sure there's a consistent message to the athlete so then the athlete knows which direction to go into they feel heard as well so also it's no use uh, um, you know uh, an athlete opening up and, and asking questions to one coach that doesn't like that and says hey, you know you can't ask me questions and if someone else does like that you're going to have a real strange environment where one's saying yes and one's saying no so everything has to be quite synced up and there has to be that consistent message because then like i say athletes feel supported they feel heard and they know that the coaches all believe in the way that the athlete needs to go. And then not only that, coaching team, like I said before, teams within teams having the same message. You've got a coaching team, you've got a sports science team. And around 10 years ago, when I first came into, into head coach, I saw a coaching team, say, say on the left-hand side, and a, and, a, and, a, and a sports science team on the right-hand side. And actually, they were working, if you like, against each other to say who had the, who had the most power or authority because, you know, we're the sports scientists, but say, yeah, but we're the coaches. And actually, it's like, well, we need to bring that team together. At the end of the day, we're all going in the same direction. We all want the same for the organization. So let's work and collaborate and then have that consistent message. So I need to make sure as a head coach that all the coaches are aware of what's happening within the strength and conditioning programs. All the coaches are aware of what the athletes are doing from a psychological basis. They're all aware of their nutrition programs. So that, you know, if an athlete comes up to me and says, Greg, you know, you know my nutritional program that, we, uh, that I've set with the, with the other coach uh, last week, I just want you to look over it. And there's no use me saying, well, I didn't know about this nutritional program, you know, you know, and I need to make sure I understand what you're showing me. And there's a key message. And uh, because if not, I've seen as well as that certain members will play off each other, you know, because they'll know that the, the, the message isn't clear and that they'll go for, go to someone for one answer and then go for someone else for another answer because they know what they can get from one person. They can't get from another, for example. So you've got to stay strong as a, as a staff team and as an organization, have that same message. And that's the same in business with everybody saying the same things to customers mm-hmm. and putting short to them that they're getting the same messages rather than different messages. Because that's for me, if it's different messages, there's not clear leadership spine where the leadership's coming all the way down and having key mm-hmm. messages. And these are the key themes and this is what we're working on. Um, yeah. And if the more clear you are, the more clarity you have uh, and the more the message, it can be consistent. I think then people will buy into your product product. People will buy into the message that you're giving and then performance can increase. Yeah, I think uh, you're absolutely right. It's, it's not easy. It's not easy to get a message communicated down multiple layers and and certainly the complexity that you've just described has blown my mind the thought of five coaches with just one player for example and the potential for the Chinese whisper effect even so it could even be it could even be that there's just ever such a slight lack of clarity on just one area but otherwise the message is consistent actually how important it is that that message is absolutely 100% full full clarity um, to enable people to be able to really really understand and communicate that at multiple levels through an organization and, and like you say that i can think of so many businesses that i've dealt with over the years that that haven't got that right even if it's just marginally not right but it has such a massive impact over time with the message to the clients to within within their teams as well and this sort of silo mentality as well it's uh, it's massively important so um, that leads us quite nicely actually into influencing in all directions so tell me a bit more about that obviously you've got some very 
complex hierarchy, I would say, on a head as a head coach that you're having to influence in many different ways. Yeah, it's a significant part of uh, of my role. So, you know, how to influence downwards, upwards, sideways, if you like. But, you know, I try and portray that or develop that within the staff members and, and, and also the athletes. So everyone that I work with, that for me, influence. And that's not manipulating. You know, people often get mistaken influence. That's actually getting giving different uh, multiple perspectives to people that you work with, giving them different alternatives, different different views, seeing a situation through different lenses. And that's all around influence. Being able to, again, change and adapt in the moment, which can also then be able to influence and get what you think that the team needs, for example. So in my role, I spend a lot of time working with, you know, influencing upwards, you know, in terms of directors, in terms of the, the board, etc., and if I only go downwards, I'm not, not, not giving that message upwards and I'm not reporting that back and sharing my insights and sharing my my views, then you know I'm not making transformational change for the organisation. All I'm doing there is giving my views downwards. And yes, we might be working well as a, as a coaching team and with the athletes, but I need to shape and help shape strategy. I not only need to just help an athlete in my coaching team, but I also need to help the city, the sport, where we're going, what the vision is, what, what the goals are from on a wider perspective. And I think the only way you can do that is, is understanding how to influence. So getting used to having uh, conflict, uh, understand that actually conflict's a good thing because what you're doing there is you're not sitting still and uh, waiting for things to happen again and, and getting complacent. You actually go and find the conflict. As long as you can do it and manage it and, and manage your emotions in that moment, conflict's a great thing. Getting used to difficult conversations. So, you know, that that's, it's not easy when you're going to report something back or you're going to give feedback to a person that's uh, potentially your line manager and you want to give feedback. You've got to know how to do that. And then that is all around adapting and having influence. And if you, you know, so I've learned over the years that things that you feel really strongly with, and especially in your gut, and you've got that gut feeling, and you've got to go and do it rather than avoid it. And I think a lot of people avoid it because they haven't got the training or haven't had the conversations. How do I have a conversation with a line manager here? Who am I? Who potentially I think I'm gonna is gonna absolutely go crazy when I give this feedback. That takes training. It takes a lot of first understanding again. Keep coming back to but how you're being in the moment. And adapting and, and sort of what behaviours and emotions do you need to bring into that room with that person to be able to influence them in the right direction or to be able to put your message across in a way that isn't very direct and isn't powering, etc. So there's ways of doing that. And that takes, for me, training, understanding yourself, understanding where you need to go, getting feedback from others. Um, but that's what I would say about influence. And I think leadership is all about influence. It's all about influence and inspiration. So I, uh, and, you know, influencing other people to step up and making decisions, influencing athletes to see things that they never maybe have seen before. And that's why we say when someone comes to the table and says, this is what I, this is why, what I really want as an athlete or a coach, my job is then to go, well, I think this is what you need. And have you looked at this way? You know, not just looking at what you want, actually, that might be what you want, but I think you need this. And it's to point those things out and have those challenges. And the more in leadership role you can do that, I think the more people will be able to step up and, and achieve greatness. So one thing I've always come back to is that true greatness or true leadership is getting and inspiring other people to step up rather than not, and it comes back again to being selfless. So for me, servant leadership and is all around you being able to inspire and influence other people to see things differently, to achieve things that they couldn't necessarily thought of that they could achieve maybe a few months back or a year back. And then they'll go out there and grab it 
rather than again being command and control tell them what to do and influence in that way what you're doing is you're influencing by giving multiple perspectives seeing things differently adapting to the context and with that someone might because you know it's like looking at um like look at for example it's like looking at a tennis ball on one way and you just look in the back of a tennis ball and you're seeing a green tennis ball but on the other side it could be red but you don't know that because you're only looking at the, the tennis ball from one view but the other person on the other side say actually no it's a red tennis ball so it's yeah. being able to flex and see things from different angles and if you do that in a leadership role the more likely you're going to be influenced and very importantly, the more likely they'll be able to influence you because you can't forget you, of course, because if you want to give people authority, responsibility, decision-making, then you've got to allow them at times to, to, to influence you and give you perspective, give you different alternatives. And that way, then you're all working together. You're not afraid of someone to try and give a different view and an influence because you've got to say, you've got to do what you preach, right? You've got to make sure if you're trying to provide this environment, they come to you and give you a different perspective and therefore trying to influence a decision you've got to be like actually absolutely fantastic that you've been able to do that and that's exactly what we want in this organization so for me that is what influence is all about and otherwise everyone's only doing what they think is right and sometimes yeah. we don't know what we don't know and it's in make it's making sure it's making sure that we tap into the things that we might not know in the moment but actually then when we do know about it it gives us a different view on something it makes yeah. us decide in a different way and then we're starting to really use and harness the skills of individuals to, to move something forward so um yeah. yeah that that you know that's my meaning of influence brilliant yeah drives driving performance through insight is uh it is a massive important part of um of improvement so yeah yeah absolutely fantastic and that and that actually again it alludes to uh the next area which uh, certainly for me well as i've developed personally i, I found that when i moved into I, when i started out in a managerial role i was very much leadership by doing and telling and and what have you and uh it when i moved into my corporate managerial role and 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 had some leadership training and some coaching training and and uh it made a massive difference once i started to self-develop and then that then gave me the go ahead to develop other people. So um, your fifth area is around starting with yourself. Are you able to just explain that a bit more, please, Greg? Yeah. And you would have, you know, you would have seen me or heard me mention about starting with self and, and, and being selfless in a leadership role. You know, it's not making sure every decision that you make, it, it doesn't have a personal interest. You know, everything you do now, you've got a responsibility as a leader to give everything that you do in order for everyone else to achieve and that therefore everything that I do is for the coaches that I work with for the athletes that I work with and um, for them to be able to achieve for them to be able to you know go and achieve great results it's not about me uh, and that's where servant leadership comes from so as I've said before if you're trying to come into any organization and change a culture for me you know the start of changing a culture is starting with self so how am I in this culture how am I being in this culture what am I currently doing well what am I currently doing wrong how much am I playing an impact on where the culture is at the moment? And if everyone can start to look at that and look at themselves and hold the mirror up, then the culture will move in the right direction it needs to, rather than people coming and saying, well, you know, X, Y, and Z, or he and she need to change for the culture to change. Well, everyone needs to look at themselves first and everyone can have that sort of holding up the mirror, the more likely they're going to be able to move forwards. And I've often said in the world of sport that, you know, if you get your culture right, then the results will look after themselves. Um, and I know that was a quote from Bill Walsh, who was a key uh, American football coach, one of the best of all time. I really believe that if you, you look after your people, you get that culture right in terms of the vision that everyone's buying into. There's principles and values that everyone's had a say in. And when times are tough and when times are 
uh, you know, you're struggling and you might be at a competition where you're struggling or you're not getting, you're not on the form that you need or you're in a business, you might not be making the profit. What is it that we said we were going to do in, in these times? What do, what do we believe in? What are we about? And therefore you better get the team back on track. And for me, that's, if you don't have that and you're all about individuals and you're just worried about the result for, you know, in our world, gold medal or silver medal or getting on the podium, when times are tough and there'll always be times, tough, it doesn't matter where you are, it doesn't matter what sport, individual organization, everyone goes through it. It's all part of life. You're not, no, you're not going to know how to make key decisions when you're in that, in that period. Whereas if you've got a great culture, you all buy into this feedback with each other. You'd be able to call, call things out if there's behaviours that you said aren't, aren't what represents you as a team, as an organisation. You have core values and principles that you can turn to in times of need. Then you're more likely to make those decisions when you need them rather than, again, we go back to people avoiding things, people not wanting to say things, people afraid to make a decision because it's not been embedded within the culture. So you know, all those things that I've talked about are all part of this growing this culture. And if you can, like I say, make sure everyone leads, learn to adapt, have that consistent message, it's all part of having the right culture for you and if you can bring that into your culture then you'll be able to have success that's a success you'll be able to adapt when things aren't necessarily going the way you want them to and you'll have to always come back to what is it that we believe in what are our principles and therefore be quite contained in your decision making when you're under pressure and go this is what we said we were going to do this is what we planned for so this is our culture so this is the way we're going to go it just makes things a lot easier and then everyone's accountable everyone's uh, giving the same message yeah it doesn't mean you're always going to be successful you might fail along the way but at least you've had an environment where you are in it together and that the culture is where you want it to be and we often say in sport that we're not only producing athletes, we're producing humans as well. If you can be good people as well as good athletes, that's the culture we're looking for. You know, if we win or we lose, we're in it together. We look back, as long as we look back at a situation and go, we did everything possible in the lead up to this championship and we do our reflection and debrief, then that's all we're looking for, you know. Yeah. And with that comes a great culture to be able to, be able to do that rather than wait until the end of a championship and then all the people start coming out of the woodwork saying we should have done X, we should have done Y, this didn't happen always checking in and making sure that we're having those feedback and those chats consistently because one thing i have learned as well is that if you don't try sort of manage or maintain culture then it can go away within moments you know something that you built potentially over a 10-year period 15 year can go over two or three weeks if you're not constantly on it constantly checking in on it constantly and that doesn't mean control that just means being aware of what's happening around you making sure Mm -hmm. the behaviors and people's how people are being actually fits into what you've talked about calling them up if it isn't because it can just quickly go and then finally my last sort of advice on culture if you like or that uh, being that self is that there is never an end point however there is never an end point with culture you've never you've never got to the, the the finished article of what the culture is because if you know Context always changing, as we see in what's happening today. Uh, environments are con- continuously changing, so your culture's got to be adaptable, and you've got to flex with it. So there's no one way, but all you can do is be the best you can do in that in that present moment, and keep checking in on it, and keep buying into it. Because of course, principles and values they refine as time goes on. So you've got to make sure you keep checking in with where the organisation is going, what the organisation believes in, especially as well. If new people are coming in, you're recruiting new people who might not have had a say with the values. So they need to have their say. They need to see if they fit in with the organization. And that's where you need to be flexible with it. But ultimately, leadership for me, coaching, leadership, it's about you giving your best self for the people that are ultimately getting the results that you want them to get. Because 
as I say all the time, in the world of coaching and high-performance sport, we do everything we can for the athletes for them to get the best results because they're the ones at the end of the day who are making those decisions when they're on the, for us in the sports hall and then they're, they're deciding what technical and tactical approach to take. They're you know, deciding what key moments, what decision to make and all that all that training that's been over 8, 10, 12 years for that one key moment. So it goes back to making sure that, you know, in your training, you're setting up people that can make decisions because there'll be times in any industry where someone's going to have to make a key decision that can be the difference between success and failure. And if yeah. you've got a culture that thrives on that, then I think that's, um, you know, it's given everyone the best chance they can to be the, the best versions of themselves. Yeah, nice. Fantastic stuff. Like with... Um Certainly people listening to this, I think, blame this idea of blame, certainly um, in, in some of the companies I deal with, and the suggestion that it's their fault or pointing the finger at other people. I think it's so easy to get caught up in that and actually to really predefine culture and actually work with your people. I think that that's the place where success really comes from and understanding, understanding why we're there, because I think... The, the best businesses aren't the, the best businesses that all really perform and grow and develop aren't the ones that are there to serve the needs of the owner and and their, them financially it's about understanding that actually we we're here as an enterprise and it's about the good work that we do for our clients and it's about the fantastic business that we're growing for our people as well and how the life that we're giving them both in work and outside of work and once those things start to align um, and we're going to move on to culture as your final point in a moment but once all of those start to align properly that is when I would say the rubber hits the road really from a business point of view and, and where growth will really happen because everyone's pushing in that same direction. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it comes back to that purpose, doesn't it? So really, mm. you know, I, I think it, it's a, it's a di- difficult situation to be in if your purpose is only to chase the finance, if you like, and chase the money, because that's not going to hit everyone's, uh, you know, everyone's sweet spot. So understand yeah, there's cool. a d- deeper meaning to why, why we're doing this. Yeah. what is it that, and then that's what people buy into people buy into yeah. emotion people buy into that that belief and those values and those principles that because they have a purpose to get up every day and and push themselves and achieve achieve greatness rather than the purpose being up every day to make loads of cash for example if you get the purpose right and get the values right then of course in businesses you'll make profit but in order to get commitment out of your employees get the real commitment out of them and it has to be more than that because then they're the ones that are going to be doing the work for you and they're the ones that are going to be pushing it every day. So they need to buy into something bigger. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I think there'll, there'll be people that will listen to this and they'll be thinking, and genuinely, Greg, that there will be people listening and they'll think, culture, that's all a bit fluffy and that's a bit, you know, yeah. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not too sure about what that is. And, and actually, your final point is culture first, understanding about collaboration and values principles and being people's focused and then and then the results follow which is kind of what we're, it's what we're talking about already but can you just really define what what culture means for to someone who kind of goes do you know what i'm just going to run my business and i'm just gonna i'm gonna lead it and then people are going to follow and and we're going to get the results what would you say is actually you know let's really focus on that culture and sort of explain what that is for you yeah i mean you know it's, it's personal choices and it but my belief is that culture can grow sustainability people understand what they're buying into people understand the values and i always keep coming back to when there is a crisis and when there is a time of need if you've got a strong culture that people are behaving in the principles that you said uh, are buying into the values i've had a say in that they're more likely to achieve greatness for you when you really need them rather than being you're in a time of need then the leadership 
spine or the senior leadership team are telling and directing and being quite forceful in that time people are not going to want to go the extra mile for you in that moment if you're telling them and being directed but people will go the extra mile for you if they've had a say in where the organization needs to go you know they are being heard there's feedback two ways people are growing and developing all the time there's a learning environment where people can say things without fear of consequences that's a culture where you know you'll be able to have success no matter what situation you're in and I suppose that in the world of high performance sport what we're trying to do is we're trying to create teams athletes and people that in any situation that we're in we're still going to be able to be successful and we do that by listening understanding and then try and implement that in the behaviors that we, we put together and you're absolutely right. Some people might look at it as fluffy. What is culture, you know? And there isn't an app, you know, there's not one way a culture needs to be. Yes, it would be different depending on the organization that you're in. But I suppose what it comes down to is everybody in that organization having a say of where they think that organization should go. Um, leaders not being afraid of that. Leaders be able to receive and give feedback and not just one way. And then an environment where, as I said before, if people are starting to behave in a way that was not said, or started to behave in a way that people have said is not what the organization's about, then that being called out and people not being afraid to do that because, you know, that could be the difference between success and failure if that isn't called out or people are avoiding that. So for me, culture has always been a big part, you know, understand people understanding why they're doing what they're doing. You know, if, if I'm asking an athlete to, you know, train three times a day, seven days a week, have a strength and conditioning program, and they don't understand why they're doing that, and don't understand exactly the purpose for that, in addition to just getting a medal around their neck, then they're not going to really go the extra mile. They're not going to really understand and get up out of bed every day and really want to push their bodies, you know, totally push the boundaries and totally get stuck in every single day. There's got to be something more to that, a deeper meaning to it. Um, and then actually, if there's a deeper meaning to that, and that meaning might be slightly different to one athlete to the other, but again, we come back to that core common goal of what we're trying to do here. And people are going to, you know, achieve want to roll their roll their sleeves up and get stuck in and i keep going back to in times of need because culture will you know everything's great isn't it success of the success and you're you're doing well but are you planning that in case something might not go necessarily well and then that's where high performance sport you know really does well because then what we're trying to do there again is not we're not planning for failure what we're doing is we're actually planning that if that situation occurs then we'll still be able to come out, out on top and as i've said in other podcasts that if we can cope with situations better than our opposition and we sort of know what's coming around the corner, we can look and look over our shoulder and we'll be more prepared, then we'll be able to be successful in every situation. And I think you can only do that if you've got a coach that buys into that and where everyone uh, has a say on how that should be. And if you do that, then everyone's going to work harder than, than your you know, competitors. And surely you want people to work harder than your competitors because that's going to obviously have, have better outcomes. 100 percent do you know what greg i absolutely love your leadership philosophy and uh, throughout the whole podcast and the previous podcast that i've recorded with you as well uh, there's so much fantastic stuff that you've helped me learn as well and, and the, the key thing that you've really crystallized for me you know i've, I've learned about leadership and culture and and, and, and things but the, the really the thing that's really resonated for me that i want people to take away with them is is this selflessness of leadership and and it's something that me personally i um 
you know, I'm guilty of leadership for my own ends or for my own performance and uh, and and being better and, and growing and self-development and self-improvement. And, and they're things that I've really focused on. But actually, for me to really get to the next level, um, I really need to focus on that selfless leadership. And obviously, at the moment, without a team, then that's quite difficult to do. But it's I kind of have... I realise I sacrifice myself often in the hours I work for the business, but long term, I need to be able to do that for the, my team of people as I build them. And um, I, I really thank you for the opportunity for, for giving me that personal development. So I really, really appreciate it, Greg. How do people find you? Where, where, where do people look if they want to find out more about you, Greg? Yeah. So, um, you know, if they, I've talked a lot about um, high performance sports. So uh, obviously I'm employed with British Power Table Tennis. So my email, um, on there is Greg Baker at BritishParatableTennis.com. If you want to, one, get involved in, in paratable tennis, want to understand more about high-performance sport, then by all means get in touch. I also do performance and business coaching if you're interested individually within teams that I currently do now in the corporate world. Um, so my email for that is gregbaker198 at hotmail.com. If you look Greg Baker on LinkedIn, you, you should see my profile and see my background and some of the things that I've, that I've been through. And then also on Google, if you put Greg Baker... Uh, table tennis or Greg Baker sport I'm on a various number of articles and, and, and things that if you want to find out more about me then by all means go and, go and search me on there as well oh man. really appreciate it Greg thank you very much and thank you everyone for listening uh, really really appreciate it and we'll catch you all again soon thank you so much for tuning in we really appreciate your time please do follow me at Pete Rushmer on LinkedIn or on Facebook follow Flagship Training UK and you can find us on YouTube too at Flagship UK.